Joan of Arc once said, One life is all we have, and we live it as we believe in living it. But to sacrifice what you are and to live without belief, that is a fate more terrible than dying. Welcome to the 43rd episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want everyone to remember that God loves us as we are, and our path to holiness is linked to embracing ourselves and becoming more genuinely ourselves, not turning away. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, got this in the DMs and felt like it could apply to a whole bunch of us. I've always been hesitant about writing, journaling. It makes me nervous to put things out there, even if no one reads it. Is this something you've seen to be helpful for people? All right, so full disclosure, I am not someone who digs journaling personally. I have found that I have a hard time putting my honest thoughts and feelings down on paper. And when I've tried journaling, I quickly have come to realize that I write things that are inauthentic trying to make my situation better than it actually is. And because of that, it doesn't help me progress at all, which is not the fault of journaling, to be clear. It's all on me. There are a lot of people who find journaling quite helpful, and even I repeatedly bring up the idea of getting things down on paper, our goals, our current status, our symptoms, our plans for coping when things get hard. It is vastly superior to keeping it all in our head and trying to access it when we need it, which is typically when our brains are unable to get it to us. If you think journaling might be helpful for you, here's some tips to keep you on the right track from the University of Rochester. Try to write every day. Set aside a few minutes every day. This will help you write in your journal regularly. Next, make it easy. Keep a pen and paper handy at all times. And then when you want to write down your thoughts, you can. You can also keep a journal in a computer file or on your phone, obviously. Write whatever feels right. Your journal doesn't need to follow any certain structure. It's your own private place to discuss whatever you want. Let the words flow freely. Don't worry about spelling mistakes or what other people might think. Use your journal as you see fit. You don't have to share your journal with anyone. If you do want to share some of your thoughts with trusted friends and loved ones, you could show them just parts of your journal. Keeping a journal helps you create order when the world feels like it's in chaos. You get to know yourself by revealing your most private fears, thoughts, and feelings. Look at your writing time as a personal relaxation time. It's a time when you can de-stress and wind down. Write in a place that's relaxing and soothing, maybe with a cup of tea. Look forward to journaling time and know that you're doing something good for your mind and your body. On to the next topic, Katie checks in. How do I deal with my nine-year-old son's big anger or his calling himself fat sometimes? These are both really hard issues to know what to do with as a parent. All too often we can feel lost, not feeling like the experts of our own children, grasping at straws, wondering how to help them. It's just so tough. So let's just start by joining together in prayer for Katie, her son, and everyone else that's trying to do what's best for our children. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
Let's get started with some tips on anger outbursts from EmpoweringParents.com. Number one, don't yell at or challenge your kid during an outburst. Many times, parents deal with angry outbursts by challenging their kids and yelling back, but this will just increase your feeling of being out of control. Number two, don't try to reason with your child during the outburst, saying, why are you mad at me? You were the one who forgot your homework at school. That only makes your child angrier. Instead, wait until they calm down and then talk through it later. Number three, pay attention to your own reactions. So crucial. Number four, don't ever get physical. Walk away and take a break if you have to. Number five, give consequences for the bad behavior, not the anger. If your child swears at you during his angry outburst or hits you, right, give the consequence later for the swearing or hitting. But if all he does is stomp into his room and yell about how life isn't fair, let it go. And last, role model appropriate responses to anger. Saying things like, I'm getting frustrated, I'm going to take a break, or I can't talk to you right now, I'm really upset, so I'm going to wait until I'm calm, let's talk later. Modeling so important. On to the idea of him calling himself fat. Here's the thing. Children learn eating behaviors and body image issues from us, from our their parents, right? So we all need to think about the impact of negative body talk around children. We need to accept other people's sizes and shapes. Be critical of media messaging around how people look. Try and keep exercise fun and encourage play rather than working out. And last, talk to your child about peer pressure, teasing, how body image is talked about at school, etc. I know you might already be doing a lot of this, but it's worth remembering and I'm guessing a lot of other folks are wondering about this topic as well. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to Blessed Concepcion Cabrera de Armida. Mexico in 1862, Concepcion grew up in the midst of the Civil War. She reported that she remembers being a pretty disobedient child in terms of her relationship with her parents, but that she always had a sense of the sacred in the Holy Eucharist. She married in 1884 and had nine children. Her husband died when her youngest was just two years old, and her life as a widow wasn't made easy thanks to the war raging on all around her. As she continued on with her life, she began to notice Jesus speaking to her through her prayer and meditation. She reported God once telling her, ask me for a long suffering life and to write a lot. That is your mission here on earth. From Wikipedia, her spiritual life started before the death of her husband. In 1894, she took spiritual nuptials and in 1896 wrote in her diary, quote, In truth, after I touched God and had an imperfect notion of his being, I wanted to prostrate myself, my forehead and my heart in the dust and never get up again. End quote. She wrote and wrote and wrote over 60,000 handwritten pages, approaching the volume of one St. Thomas Aquinas. She once wrote, To love the church is not to criticize her, not to destroy her, not to try to change her essential structures, not to reduce her to humanism, horizonalism, and to the simple service of human liberation. To love the church is to cooperate with the work of redemption by the cross, and in this way obtain the grace of the Holy Spirit, come to renew the face of the poor earth, conducting in its consummation in the design of the Father's immense love. We like to close this part of the podcast out with a prayer, and this time around, it's a prayer actually written by Concepcion herself. Because of my weakness and misery, humiliation is painful, obedience is heavy, 
Recollection is sad. Temptation is intolerable. Suffering is disturbing. And any cross is tiresome. I am afraid to forego my desires. Any kind of denial frightens me. But, oh, my Jesus, I will be able to do all in union with you. Take away my coldness and give me the gift of prayer to listen to your voice that encourages me to give of myself for the love of you. Speak to me always, Jesus, infinite goodness, and tell me, as you told the Samaritan woman, everything that I have done in order to move my heart to repentance. Give me the water of your blood to cleanse my heart. Lord, give me this water. Mary, mother of the eternal word, May I know how to listen in silence to the sweet voice of your Jesus. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Marika starts us off. Is anyone else feeling anxious about the world opening up after COVID isolation? Not fear of the virus, but because I've gotten really comfy, isolated in my apartment and not sure I want to leave when the world opens back up. Marika, you are definitely not the only one, but let's start this by praying for Marika and all of us who feel the same way and for the souls of everyone who's died from this terrible virus and their families for peace to come to every one of us this very day. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. I'm anxious with you, Marika, as we move slowly toward opening back up and trying to move back into the swing of things. I'm anxious. And like you mentioned, it's not just because of the virus. It's also because of the fact that we've gotten comfortable. We've gotten used to the way we've been doing things for a while. And the whole idea of getting back out there seems really foreign. This is true in terms of hanging out with people, going grocery shopping, and especially for me, going back to mass. It's just so hard. So for what it's worth, here's some tips for coping with the anxiety as we get out of our comfort zone. First, limit media. It's a really good idea to cut back on media to reduce our anxiety. Next, find ways of being kind and growing in patience and practicing compassion with others. Be kind to yourself. Go easy on yourself and find ways you can help others and help them feel validated and normalized. And last, create new routines. This is a great way to help us ease back into things. Come up with baby step goals, attainable and easy easy to achieve and go step by step back into life when things are safe and ready. Dave is up next. I work in the weather industry and we get questions from people all the time about weather fears, which I'm guessing is really weather anxiety. These calls are not just when bad weather is imminent, but also every day in some cases. We can tell it's always on their minds. This is an area of the country where bad weather happens often, so so uh, that is real, albeit not every day, of course. Often we don't know what to say as we're meteorologists and not psychologists. How can we make good headway in helping people with this fear in a correct and usable way? I'm kind of a weather nerd, so uh, I've got my own weather station in my backyard. So Dave, I'm very excited with this question coming my way. Let's pray for Dave and everyone who has to provide mental health support in roles that we don't traditionally think of as mental health roles, in addition to everyone who has weather-related anxiety. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. 
be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who roam throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. We should all stop for a moment and think about how anxiety or even trauma from a past weather event might take over and send people spiraling. We've talked about weather-related PTSD on the podcast before, episode 20, if you want to go back and have a listen. It's serious, and as the weather continues to ramp up and get more intense, the real impact of weather-related PTSD is going to become more obvious to all of us. The problem in your position is providing reassurances like, uh, the weather is looking good today, no need to worry, or... Yes, there's a storm coming, but if you take proper precautions, everything should be fine. Those things only reinforce the power of the anxiety. We've talked about this before in terms of obsessive compulsive disorder and scrupulosity. Those of us suffering from this anxiety seek reassurance. But when people give us that reassurance, it doubles down on the power of those thoughts and leads to them coming back with an even greater force and result in us just looking for reassurance over and over again. In your situation, I would suggest keeping to the facts and refraining from emotional reassurances, like only providing factual, objective information about the weather situation. Nothing subjective, nothing about how everything's going to be okay. And then referring someone who calls every day to a local mental health access line for support so they can get connected to help with their anxiety. Hopefully they take the offer. Last thing, there's a program you can find online called Mental Health First Aid. It's a course that teaches you how to identify, understand, and receive respond to signs of mental illness and substance use disorders. The training gives you the skills you need to reach out and provide initial help and support. And it's something that's appropriate for anyone to take who might come into contact with those of us suffering from mental illness, just to help give a basic uh, introduction on how to help and how to get people to the help of professionals when it's needed. Keep up the good work. Lucy wraps us up. When I turned 55 last fall, I began thinking of my own mortality, especially as I was three months away from baptism. My mother suffered from dementia the last several years of her life. I've been on medication for years, postpartum depression that never really stopped. My new doctor has placed me on Abilify, which is labeled for schizophrenia and dementia, among other things. Dr. D says it's a mood stabilization medication, but I'm petrified of winding up like my mom. How can I handle this? Let's all pray for Lucy and and everyone facing thoughts about their own mortality and trying to live their best life while recognizing their mental health history of their family. And let's also pray for the soul of Lucy's mother. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. Two quick points to note here. First, many mental health conditions are genetic, meaning they can be passed down from generation to generation. So, you know, I want to normalize and validate your concern. But second, we are not locked into certain ways of being or cemented into following in the footsteps of our loved ones who have suffered from mental health experiences or neurological situations. The passing down of mental health conditions is seriously complicated. And just because someone has a parent who had a mental illness does not necessarily mean they will also experience the same thing. They might, but it's not a foregone conclusion. 
Reminder here that I'm just a therapist, not a medical doctor, but from what I've seen working with doctors in regards to Abilify, your doctor is correct. It's a medication that's used for many different symptoms, prescribed for psychosis, mood swings, and even given a, a lot of times as an add-on to antidepressant medication. So as long as you stay close with your doctor and let them know how the medication makes you feel for better or for worse, you will hopefully be guided with the best advice possible. Now, how to handle the fear of what's to come in the future. This is called anticipatory anxiety. And here's some ideas from healthline.com that can help us out first. Do our best to take care of our physical needs. Things like sleep, nutrition, and exercise can play an important part in the management of anxiety symptoms, including anticipatory anxiety. Next, check your self-talk. When you start to worry about something, ask yourself, is this a realistic possibility? If your honest answer is no, try to redirect your energy toward the present moment instead. If the honest answer is yes, it's perfectly okay to make a plan to cope, whether that involves taking time off work or anything else, to bring you peace. Then try to set your thoughts aside. You've done all you can do for now. Finally, ground yourself. Grounding exercises can help interrupt distressing or anxious thoughts and reconnect us to the present. Some of them involve physical items like snapping a rubber band against our wrist, holding ice, or stroking a soothing grounding object, right? Many grounding techniques happen in your own thoughts, so you can even practice them anywhere at any time, like praying. We'll be praying for you. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.